Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is my good friend, Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes is a cinematographer and filmmaker who's from Flagstaff, Arizona, who's actually currently still going to film school. We met a couple of years ago, and at the time he was doing YouTube videos, specifically really high quality and well-made tech reviews. Since then, Jackson has kind of shifted gears towards filmmaking and pursuing a Hollywood type career. So in our conversation, we talk about whether or not school is worth it if you're a student wanting to get into filmmaking. We also nerd out about different tech in the film industry as well as filmmakers who make great work. Unfortunately, I deleted the video files of this conversation. So this is the audio only version and it's the only one that will exist. But on our YouTube channel, I've posted my interview with Jevin Dovey and that is going live simultaneously with this audio version. So if you want to watch the video interview of Jev and Dovey and I, that is available right now on youtube.com slash ghpod. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Jackson Hayes. We're here with uh, Jackson Hayes, and we were just talking about how the last time we saw each other, and apparently the first time we met was at NAB 2019, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was my my first NAB, and that year was also my first CES. Um, CES was crazy, and I, I was yeah. I don't actually remember even signing up for NAB, and like it, it's all a blur, like it all kind of meshes together. Um, but I remember like really wanting to go because I knew a lot of people who I looked up to as far as like filmmaking went were going, and you know all the all the gear that was going to be there, and it was definitely more tuned for filmmakers as opposed to being like here's a smart refrigerator water dispenser and like you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. And so, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to go, I was trying to figure out, um, housing and like where I was going to stay. I really didn't want to do like a, um, you know, just like a last minute type thing. And so, but it ended up being a last yeah. minute type thing with, I'm trying to remember who it was, who connected was it, me with you. Was it my friend, um, from lens pro to go, um, yes. Greg, Greg, yes. It was Greg Farnham, I think is his yep. name. And he, yeah. And he has since actually left the company. I think he's now doing DP work, um, okay. freelance. So gotcha, but gotcha. at the time he was, he was kind of, the, he was the host of the lens pro to go channel and right. a longtime friend of mine. And, uh, I guess you guys connected. Yeah. We all roomed together. I think I brought, I brought my wife and my son and yeah, it was just this big Airbnb house with like five bedrooms. Yeah. And I think every room was occupied and we were like, you could sleep on the couch if you want. <laughs> so <laughs> Right. Yeah. Although I think there was a, I think I actually ended up staying in like some sort of like extra bedroom there at some. That's right. Yeah. Maybe think, the first yeah. night you were on the couch, right? And then the next yeah, couple yeah, nights yeah, you were yeah, in a room, was. Yeah. there was somebody that left. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, yeah. that's always the best way to do it. Cause it's so much cheaper to just oh my gosh, split yeah. a, a house, like an Airbnb house for a week rather than the Vegas hotels. Cause they can really get expensive. Yeah, I mean, especially around these big events. They're like, exactly. You guys are going to pay for it. So they just jack up those <laughs> prices. Yeah. I mean, did you end up going, well, I guess that was the last time that NAB was a thing because of COVID obviously. And then, um, I think it's canceled again this year because it, it would yeah. be coming up right about now in April. So yeah. crossing our fingers for next year, um, you know, be able to hang out again next year, hopefully. So. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> what's tough for me is that like now that I'm a full-time student, it's like really hard to go to any events. That's true. Like even if they, they were being held. Um, and so uh, next year, uh, yeah, I'm, I would, I'd probably try. And there's, you know, there's a possibility. <laughs> Just play hooky like, am, for a day or two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am, I am in like the film program. So maybe they'd be like willing to like make an, a, 
exception or whatever for yeah. going there. But um, yeah, no, it was really cool. I I got to meet. Um, I am really bad with names. I am so bad with names. <laughs> got to meet but some very awesome. I met some very people. awesome people. I mean, I met Peter McKinnon. I'm not forgetting his name. <laughs> I got to meet him. I was so nervous. I'd never been that nervous um, <laughs> in my life. Uh, but that was kind of cool. I got to meet him, and um, I got to meet the guy who is heading up the new. Um, what's it called? It's like the Will Smith show, uh, but like what he got started with. It's it's. Oh, uh, it's the name of a place. Are you talking about the? old show from the 90s with will smith yeah yeah, yeah. bel-air <laughs> bel-air bel-air yes yeah the fresh prince of bel-air right yep yeah so i got to meet meet the, the the dp and director i guess writer director dp who who did that um i feel like so the bad original one or a, a new one no no i don't know if you were aware of like there was a a fan remake or something of like what the show would look like as a drama today okay uh, it was it was really well done and That's to the point cool. where it got Will Smith's attention, and they're making it a show, like oh wow, like a, a for real show, which is like really cool for him. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of cool to meet him because cool. I knew he was like kind of trying to do that, and like now he's in Hollywood doing yeah, you know, real directing and stuff, which is super cool. Well, it's funny because when we met, you were a young whippersnapper. You <laughs> were a senior in high school, I think. You know, because so. it was April, so yeah, um, that would have been your senior year. And I remember going to like Burger King or something or Hardee's and getting breakfast with you yeah, and having like a deep school conversation and how like, at least for me personally, I felt like I didn't need it. So I ended up dropping right. out of school and pursuing other things. And at the time you were doing some YouTube stuff. It was like, dude, just go for it with YouTube. But here we yeah. are now. It's been two years. Um, are you happy with your decision going to school? You're in, you're doing film in uh, what school do you go to? University of Arizona. And I am, it, it's, it's interesting. I think um, the, the initial reason why I wanted to um, not go to school was just because I was tired of this kind of like learning stuff I don't feel like I'm ever going to use. <laughs> uh, and, and now that I've finished all my gen eds and am like doing like more of the film stuff, I, I see the benefit in having done a little extra school trying to be pushed a little bit as far as like my writing goes. Cause I know that like, sure. Um, just out of high school, I think my writing wasn't where it could have been. Um, and so like, you know, in that sense and little things like that, uh, it was definitely helpful. I'm also definitely glad I went cause I was homeschooled. Um, pretty much my entire life. I did go to a private school in Japan for a little bit. So I did have that kind of like social interaction, but I was in Japanese. That's super so, cool. So there's that. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad that I did, go to college and have that kind of college experience of making friends and like being yeah. an adult, but with, but in a community type thing. Cause like, you know, if I had just like moved out and like, was like, all right, I'm going to move somewhere or like <laughs> even just move in the same town I was, which was Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, you know, I just wouldn't really have had any kind of community or any of that. So I'm definitely glad I went for that reason. Yeah. Um, as far as the film program itself, I, I don't think any of like my professors are going to see this, but um, they're, they're like very much out of the loop. And so, like, therefore, they won't really see it. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, therefore, you know, they're, they're definitely not watching this. <laughs> right. So, um, not that we're like the pulse of uh, the, the, the loop, yeah. industry, but, uh, right. but yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the, the, the thing that I struggle with with my film program is that it's like, here's one class on how to write, here's one class on how to do cinematography. 
Mm. Heavy, heavy quotes there. Um, here's a class on how to direct. It, like all these little classes that add up to a general understanding of the film industry. And it, there's no like, here's your cinematography uh, students. Here's your directing students. Here's your writing students. Like it's yeah. so like, just like, here's a little bit of everything. So you become a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Mm. And so in that sense, I definitely struggle with the value of it uh, for students who don't know what they want to do. Or, or even for those who do want, who do know what they want to do, but they don't have the resources to necessarily uh, learn everything that they would need to, you know, be a professional in that uh, area of the industry. Because, uh, like, you know, I know, you know, some friends who kind of want to be cinematographers, but you know, it's really hard to try to learn from someone who's real, makes you cringe, and like is very unsafe on set and does not seem to really know what he's talking about and cancels class, like literally 15 minutes beforehand so people have already shown up to class and then they're like what? okay i guess i'm going home and are you so, talking about okay we won't name names but i'm not actually, gonna name names but you're actually um, referring to a real... i'm referring to an actual professor and this has happened this literally happened this week so oh, um wow. yeah. yeah so it's it's in that sense it's not the best and again it's it's not really the film program's fault i mean it's it's Ultimately, it's society's fault, right, for not appreciating arts. And, like, therefore, the, the university doesn't fund the, the school to have people to even, like, you know, to even hire someone who's moderately good at cinematography uh, <laughs> to, like, to teach something uh, a bit higher level than just, like, this is a key light. This is a fill. And I'm like, I can learn this on YouTube in, like, 15 minutes. Like, I don't know why yeah. I'm being tested on all these things. And it's like, well, see, I wish I could just test out of it. But I think what you're experiencing is... Um, what I you're kind of talking about the things that I felt like were true about not going to New York or LA. So like if you mm. went to USC or NYU, that's a different conversation because now you're working with fellow filmmakers that are going to become the next generation of Hollywood or whatever. And you right. have connections to movie studios. And like if you want to work in Hollywood and you have an opportunity to, to go to USC, do it because like that will grant you connections that will then carry you on through your career. Right. But like me growing up in Nashville, it didn't make any sense for me to go to my local college because right. I was learning more just shooting on the weekends, you know? And what's crazy is like you more so than I, I mean, I'm 30 years old. So I'm, you know, a generation before you. And like, obviously we had the internet, the DSLR revolution was happening right when I went to college and you've got so much access. You've already been successful on YouTube. It's got to be hard for you to sit through class sometimes when you're just kind of like, okay, yes, I, I know. I already yeah. know this, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I, I don't want to like fully, I, kinda, I guess I sort of just dumped on my film school, but I don't want to <laughs> fully, you know, say it's worthless because I've, I've learned a ton from my editing class. Like this guy's an... I don't, I don't know if people say ACE or ACE, but like he's in the American Society of uh, or Editors, American Cinema Editors, or something like that. That's awesome. Um, and so, like, he's very knowledgeable, and like I've learned so much about editing. Um, where, like, you know, I I think it's easy to you know not knowing anything to kind of discredit editing as like, oh, it's just you know you just cut the clips together and you just like remove the bad parts and then you're good. But like, there is so much more to it, and like the, course, the psychological yeah. effect of clips and then, you know the Kuleshov effect and all of that stuff um, definitely has so much nuance to it that it that I'm learning so much in this class. Like right now I'm I'm having to cut a short film where I'm just given all the raw footage, here's the the sound that they recorded, the sync sound, here's the wild sound, all this stuff. 
and turn it into a film. And so like, it's That's like giving cool. me very like hands-on, uh, you know, practical experience. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're not forcing me to use Avid, which is kind of nice because I don't want to try to figure out how that's going to run on my M1 Mac. And so I'm, you know, using Resolve <laughs> and all of that. Um, but, you know, it, it, I've learned a lot in that class. I've learned a lot in my documentary sure. um, history class. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I just kind of wish that they had a bit more of an intensive, like here's a cinematography class. So, you know, I'm going to be focusing on cinematography throughout my like uh, career here as a student where, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, volunteer as a DP for various student films and things like that to try to just get more experience. And then sure. uh, hopefully afterwards, potentially trying to go to somewhere like AFI um, and, you know, just focusing on cinematography uh, because I, I think I would definitely benefit from just more education about it, learning and hands-on and all of that. Cause what I heard from AFI, um, cause actually my, professor who's teaching editing went to AFI and mm-hmm. he said like there's a you know there's a whole cinematography like department where all your classmates are cinematographers you all go and shoot some film you all go and critique it and there's some like um uh ASC you know members yeah. there who will like, like real actual yeah like DPs, they're they're giving yeah. you feedback and like you're, you're like just like really working on like the nuance where, of cinematography where's AFI located I think it's LA I'm not okay. entirely sure it's in yeah. California but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, I See that makes sense to me, and also too, I think you're you're wanting to do something that, like, I have no desire to like. I have no desire to be in Hollywood or do anything. Sure. That's why I've left Indie Mogul as well. It's kind of like I realized that there was kind of a conflict of interest between not conflict of interest, but I didn't agree with talking about Hollywood and filmmaking because I just I wasn't interested. I'm like, this sure. is a dying medium. And YouTube is the future. Like, I don't want to talk about this. I want to move forward. Like, we can learn from them. But anyways, that's a whole nother story. But like, if you want to do Hollywood, like we're talking about Hollywood movies and be in the film industry, then going to school is still a valuable thing. And and like you're mentioning, um, interacting with actual real ASCs and real cinematographers. ASC, by the way, is American uh, American Association of cinematographers I, I believe right i think so yeah. society um, or something maybe I don't, I don't yeah yeah society that. sorry yeah that that would make more sense with the s um yeah. <laughs> uh and every country if you're listening and you're not interested you're not you know aware of this each country has their own kind of label on yeah, it so there's like bce i think or no not bce bsc i think uh-huh for like um, great britain and for yeah. australia and um so the that's kind of like the phd of a specific, uh, you know, skill set in Hollywood. So if you're looking at a, a, the credits on a film and there's their name with three letters at the end, whether they're an editor or a shooter or a director, like that's, that's like a big deal. Yeah. You know, you have to be inducted. You can't just like fill out a form and pay a fee. Like you have to be invited right. to be a part of that. So, yeah. um, filmmaking has always been this very, uh, unobtainable thing for most people. And that's why I'm so excited about YouTube and, you know, my conversation with Josh, you know, his struggles as a actor in Hollywood and why he started YouTube, uh, obviously having success there, you've had success on YouTube as well. Like what are, what are your thoughts right now? Now that you're at this crossroads where you may consider going to AFI or pursuing like the more traditional route, where you also have all these connections in the tech industry and in the YouTube space and on Twitter and just all this and that, like you obviously have opportunity on the internet as well to be a social media person. Like, are you at a crossroads there or have you made your mind up on which direction to go? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely haven't made up my mind as to like, am I going <laughs> to quit YouTube or whatever? Um, I definitely don't see myself doing a whole lot more smartphone reviews um, uh-huh. <laughs> going forward. Uh, yeah, it gets a little boring. I just got the the OnePlus Nine phones, and they're great. I think um, I haven't really had time. They just showed up today, uh, but. Uh, you know, I, I want to try to maybe shift the focus of my channel a little bit. And you, you say success, but it's like, I, I don't even have 10,000 subscribers yet. So, <laughs> well, um, you have a lot of connections. People know yeah. you, 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 you could, if you, I feel like you have potential, like right now, if you quit school and started YouTube full time, you could be full time. Like, I don't yeah. think, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I've, I've tried to like explore that idea and like see how much work it would be and stuff. And like, it would just be so unhealthy for my mental health. Like <laughs> I know that like even just trying to make one YouTube video, like the the amount of like, I guess it's probably ends up being just perfectionism and stuff of like just wanting everything to be right. And like, ah, oh, this is bad because of this or like, I don't have enough B-roll or whatever. Um, you know, yeah, like, nobody cares I, about that on YouTube. <laughs> I know. And so like, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I think I end up overthinking and I think YouTube's like the wrong forum for me for yeah. what I want to make. Um, that said, I still want to keep making videos and I think I'd love to eventually turn the channel into something where it's like a resource for people who are trying to do cinematography and stuff. Absolutely. Of course, there's like plenty of channels out there and, um, yeah, but that, that, that could but, end up being a calling card for you. If, if you grow an audience there that could lead to, to work and by setting yeah. yourself up as a resource, you know, that makes you in turn an expert. So, um, I think if you're even, I think there's a lot of people who listen to this who obviously aren't Josh Yeo. Uh, you know, people who are freelance filmmakers, uh, freelance graphic designers, photographers who may be inspired by this conversation of like, even if you don't have aspirations to be a million subscriber YouTube channel, it's yeah. still important to have a presence there because the audience you can build and the, the kind of reputation you can build allows for other work opportunities to come out that you, you never really dream of, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things where it's also very difficult to try to break out of this, you know, one, one man band, you know, video producer type thing. Um, because trying to break that threshold and going into something where you have a crew and you have the budget and stuff, because, you know, right now I'm still doing things that are like pretty low budget. There's no money for renting anything. It's like, just bring your own gear, like all that kind of stuff. And so, um, that's something I'm trying to break out of and I'm working on a documentary now that maybe will help me get some connections um, because it's going to be kind of backed by the university a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that's, I think, where I'm at right now of like trying to break out of the one-man band video sure. producer to become more of a cinematographer as opposed to just, you know, shooting passion projects or very low-budget things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that has to do with location as well. It's oh something gosh, that yes. I've... I've learned uh, growing up in kind of more rural Tennessee. Once I moved downtown Nashville, I realized just going to a coffee shop, be like, oh, hey, dude, what's up? And then that conversation of like some random colleague that you did, did a shoot with that one time, like leads to a job or whatever, like being in a location where industry is happening. Uh, and in my case, it was Nashville, which isn't a huge industry, but there is quite a bit of video here. Um, you know, obviously LA, New York, Chicago. Right. Those types of places are yeah. Be Tucson, Arizona, there. not one of those places. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I as soon as I graduate, I'm planning on moving somewhere a little more um, lush as far as work might go. But uh, yeah. right now it's like very it's very dry here, both in the literal and figurative <laughs> sense. Uh, totally, because it is Arizona. But um, of course, you know, it's like I think it gives me 
time to, you know, be able to just focus on school and focus on work. Cause right now, um, we can get into this later, but I, like I do some like remote work, so that's nice to not okay. really have to be anywhere in particular, but, um, nice. yeah, it's definitely location, location based. So you mentioned resolve. Are you now a resolve editor? Is it, have you switched over to that? Yeah. I mean, I bounce back and forth between Resolve and Final Cut. Final Cut opens in a couple of seconds. Resolve, you can go make yourself a coffee. You can come back <laughs> as you wait for those panels to load and stuff. Um, it, it seems to actually load faster on my M1, which is kind of funny. Um, not not a surprise, but you know, it's just funny because it's like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it should. Anyway, um, well, yeah, it's not Apple, but I mean, at least they're. I, then the app is newer than Premiere. Premiere has all this old code from like two thousand and three, so old, it, yeah. So. It's just so ridiculously old, and it blows my mind that professional YouTubers edit in Premiere. It it blows my mind when yeah, speed and is like, of the essence. <laughs> the the idea that like you're fine with putting up with it crashing all the time and stuff. Like, <laughs> I think I've maybe had Resolve crash two times, but that was because I was on the beta, and like, you know, <laughs> well, Final Cut never crashes on me, and like, I don't know. It's just yeah, crazy. I I definitely have had Final Cut crash on me, but it's only because hmm. of plugins that I've installed mm. that. Right. supported or something and i'm a hundred percent all in on m1 i have three m1s now i've got a base model mac mini a maxed out mac mini and then a maxed out macbook air that i'm wow. using right now i plan on selling um one of them to get whatever the you know 15 inch replacement's going to be or the 16 yeah. inch um, yeah i'm definitely jump into those as soon as they come out because i got a 500 gig uh, uh, you know, M1 Mac Mini because I was like, well, they're going to be here in the in the spring, and then they're like, nope, it's going to be the fall. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you know, I've you know deleting stuff, trying to move things to external drives and all of yeah. that. But like, I am looking forward to something more portable because I've noticed that while desktop computers generally tend to have better performance and all of that, um, I would love to be able to like, especially once things kind of go back to normal, like being able to take my laptop to school and like yeah. things or whatever. And like, <laughs> you know, normal things that everybody, everybody knows about. But like yeah. I was in the same boat. I had a 16 inch uh, MacBook Intel and I sold yeah. it for a base model Mac mini, literally mm. like only 200. I got the 500 gig one. I think the same one you got. So the eight yeah. gig with 500 um, is like the second tier Mac mini M1. And it wasn't enough. Like it kept crashing on me because uh, I, I didn't have enough RAM. I do mm. a lot of graphics. I don't know if you've seen my edits, but yeah. I, I zoom in a lot. I add all sorts of random things. So right. um, it slowed my workflow down. So I bought a maxed out M1 Mac. Took like two months for it to show up because they were back ordered. Yeah. But once I got the two terabyte SSD, which is amazing to have two terabytes, and then the 16 gigs of RAM, I never had a problem with it. But I'm still facing graphical issues with Final Cut because of the way I personally edit. There's just a lot of motion graphics happening and, and zooming and all sorts of resolutions. Um, so I still need more GPU. Um, right. But uh, I did the same thing. Like I was going, to, I've been going to Arizona multiple times over the last couple of months because I have a new job now that's actually my. They live in Scottsdale, so I'm actually going to be there on Monday. So, oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> just funny that you live there, but yeah, it's about, um, it's about like five, three hours away, maybe. Something okay. Like that. Yeah. I didn't realize Tucson was that far. Dang. Oh, it's, it's it's pretty well. I think I think it's like four or five hours from Flagstaff, and then I mean like Arizona is a big state. Two, three. So. Yeah, yeah, it's we're pretty far south, so you know it's it's a little yeah. bit of a trek. But uh, 
I was like, I can't, I can't live this like Mac mini life. I was bringing my Mac mini in my backpack and like <laughs> I bought the Luna display dongle so I could use my iPad as a display. I was like, Oh wow. They, they, uh, they advertise it as though you can use this little dongle to basically be completely headless and just use an iPad as your display. But that's not the case. You really, oh. you really still need a display before you can like connect to the iPad and then you can go headless, which is really annoying. So yeah. Isn't that, um, like, doesn't that kind of make it pointless because you can just exactly. do the whole sidecar thing? Well, if if you truly wanted to go headless, um, you can't use sidecar completely oh, without an HDMI it, yeah, plugged in. Right. Um, so basically, once you initiate the setup with the Luna display, you can technically get away with it. But when I turn the computer on, the iPad is just frozen. And then I have to like blindly punch in my passcode, just hoping <laughs> that it's on the passcode screen and then right. I hit enter and then it pops up. So anyways, the resolution issues there were awful. So I would have to like, like I bought a monitor in my location in Arizona. I just left it there mm. and then I have a monitor here. So I was like, I'll just use two monitors, but it's like, screw it. Why don't I just get a freaking laptop that'll deal right. with that? And so now I have the M1 Mac mini or the uh, MacBook air. I mean, and I, I love it. It's so small and portable. And the battery life is great, but it's not as powerful as the Mac Mini. So, like, when I'm right. editing, I want to sit down and use the Mini. <sighs> so, yeah, it's like it's a, a it's a weird limbo space <laughs> to be in right now with Apple laptops and computers. And I think it, it's nice but it's exciting, in the sense, yeah. yeah, in the sense that like for people who don't need the crazy power, you can actually recommend them the cheaper laptops because yeah, I feel, totally. feel like before M ones, it was like, yeah, you should probably get a MacBook Pro, like. You know, the, the cheaper Apple laptops yeah. with Intel were, like, not the best. And so now it's nice to be able to, like, recommend the, the cheaper stuff. Oh, totally. Like, the, the MacBook Air in particular is such a great basic laptop. Like, it's the perfect laptop for my wife, you know, who just right. checks email, watches YouTube videos, and looks at pictures, you know. And even for me as a, a travel machine... I'm kind of like even contemplating just getting like a really tricked out desktop at my home setup and then having something like a MacBook Air as my portable machine because, you know, on the occasion that I happen to be traveling, I'll take the laptop, but I don't necessarily need like the thousand percent beefy machine. And it's so nice not having dongles all the time with the Mac mini. I love yeah. the fact that I can plug in my Ethernet. I can plug in USB-A. I've got HDMI like... Hopefully yeah. this new MacBook Pro will actually have there they've been claiming that it may right. have HDMI, right? And a MagSafe. Yeah. yeah. I mean like it's kind of funny with my Mac mini slash PC setup because I have a monitor that accepts HDMI and DisplayPort. Mm -hmm. So I I have one input as the HDMI is the the Mac and then the DisplayPort is the Windows PC for like gaming oh, as well smart. as like Blender stuff. So you can just however switch the display. Yes, oh, I can however. just switch the the the, the display, but um, I have to uh, swap the. I have to like unplug the like unifying dongle, plug it over there because I'm like I don't really want to buy a second one. Um, and then <laughs> I will reach around back, pull out my USB that's coming from the monitor itself, uh -huh. and then put that into the the PC. So I like crawl under the display or under the computer every single time. <laughs> <laughs> to like swap these cables and because the nice thing about this monitor that I have it has, it has like a USB hub type thing and oh, I have okay. right now it's running the the HDMI into the dongle into the monitor into the computer sure um, 
and so it allows me to quickly switch like kind of all my devices over for like audio for um, yeah. even like zoom and stuff if i need it oh, so that's cool it's why a little bit you, of a headache but why do you have two yeah. what are you a gamer or something or something? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I like gaming. I wouldn't call myself a gamer. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of like the way I, I relax most of the time is just like to kind of play a video game. Um, I want to try to work on watching more movies and like getting more used to that. But like I always feel like either like two hours feels like such a long time, even though I'll, I'll, I'll gladly game for two hours. <laughs> um, but like it's also, you know, it's like an emotional investment into something and like yeah. you pick it and then you're like, you be, you know, you better enjoy it for the next two hours. Um, <laughs> totally. yeah, so, so, you know, there's that. But um, I, I've been trying to watch more movies kind of more intentionally um, to just kind of, you know, stay connected to the medium, you know, because I think if you don't watch enough movies and you try to make movies, it doesn't really make sense. Absolutely. Um, and so... Yeah, so I've been trying to do that. But yeah, PC is mainly for gaming as well as for like intensive Adobe stuff because I've got a 3070 in there as well as for Blender stuff because that's also fun. Um, oh, cool. Do you do some really 3D animation? Uh, modeling, starting animation a little bit. Uh, still kind of struggling. I want to try to get good at those uh, like Lego animations because you can uh -huh. get these like rigs and stuff and like all the materials are all set up for you. It's just kind of like lighting them and kind of animating them. Oh, that's and cool. so I want to get good at that because I've seen people do stuff that literally looks as good as a Lego movie in Blender. Oh uh, and they're just like a one man band type thing. So I'm like, that seems fun. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a lot. No of fun. real practical application. Like I couldn't go sell these things, but like still, yeah, you could sell them as an NFT. Be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I struggle with the whole NFT world, but yeah, that's, I, that's a whole nother I topic. literally today watched, and I recommend this to everybody who's listening who doesn't know what the heck NFT is yet. Um, Corridor Digital had a fabulous uh, question and answer video with Beeple um, on their channel. I think it was last week. They've done three collabs now with Beeple because they're, they're, they seem to be very friendly with him. And, and he's yeah. been on the channel before, so they obviously know him well. And, right. um, but it's like a 15 minute video where all of the cast of Corridor Digital just kind of throw, hurl questions at him and people like actually really describes it well. And I think I finally get it now. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. And like at the end of the day, I, I'm not sure if it has longevity to it, but, um, at least right now, you know, people like him are making it's, I think he's sold his collection for like. 90 million dollars recently he's made million it's insane so yeah he, he sold i feel like he sold something for like 69 million or something yeah so very, he literally nice number. has become they said this in the corridor digital because they interviewed him back in january and at the time the biggest drop he did was a three million dollar drop mm. but they they you know added to it since then because they posted this last week they said we recorded this back in january but since then he people has actually become the third most wealthy artist that's alive like on the world in in the world right now he has he's made more money off of his art than any the, you know he's the top three selling artists in the world it's insane <clears throat> we're here to talk about filmmaking so <laughs> tell me <Yeah. laughs> so one thing that i think is fascinating to me is the fact that you're obviously in film school so tell me and and our viewers and our listeners like maybe a couple of nuggets that have really stood out to you over the, these last two years that you've been in film. Now I understand that last year, especially was, you know, you're doing your, you still have to do your gen ed and right. all the boring math, English science stuff. But like you did, you mentioned a little bit about the editing. Can you get into yeah. that? Like what are some of the things that have really stood out to you that you, that you've actually learned in film school that maybe our listeners aren't familiar with? 
I think I think there's 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 been a lot of things in editing as well as in, in some of the like general film classes that like anyone can take. Um, but in the editing editing class specifically, um, I I think there's a bit of a underappreciation for editors in general, just because like you know you're not the director who like sometimes gets like to be on you know Fallon or whatever, and you're not the actors who like oftentimes they claim it as their movie even though it's like you're you're just the actor in it. Like there's a lot of other people. <laughs> I, I don't know that kind of rubs they're me the wrong stars of the show. That's for sure. But yeah, um, but you know overall, like I think. Editing is such a um, a craft that has to be mastered in order to you know really make something incredible uh, because like oftentimes you know there can be something that is shot very very well but if it's not edited well together like there's weird gaps if it like feels boring then people aren't just gonna aren't gonna watch it like Absolutely. yeah they could have the best cinematography in the world or the best acting but like oftentimes also performances are really heavily modified by the actors or sorry by the editors because mm-hmm. you know there was some weird. Um, something went out of focus or they cut to something else. They use audio from somewhere, some other place or whatever. But like there was so much done in, in the editing, um, editing room or whatever, uh, that like, you know, they really craft the story, especially documentary, obviously, but like in narrative too, like there's a lot of things that like, Oh, you could use this take or this take. And this means one thing. And there's this close up that might, you know, be more impactful in this one and all sorts of things. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think I've just really started to appreciate editing a lot more. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sitting <laughs> at your computer, which I, it's fine, but it's just, you know, you get a little tired, but, um, you know, I've definitely learned a lot from that, but then also just in, in general, I think the biggest thing I've learned is like not to kind of, um, throw aside or ignore, you know, history. And I think, um, the, the one of the biggest issues with people being like, Oh, you can just, you can be a filmmaker, just watch a bunch of YouTube videos. Like that's mm-hmm. great. You're going to learn a lot, but there is so much history and so much you could learn from watching all these old films that like, yeah. oh, you know, they're in black and white, uh, but like, just, just watch them. Like, they're, they're really good yeah. for, for even for like for the time, but also even for now, like there's so much um, totally just like mastery of, of film even way back then the, that like, I think we can learn so much. The thing that always stood out to me when you go back and watch like an, the Orson Welles film or like other movies from that era like especially the ones that are obviously well made, they were so limited and restricted with their camera movement that right. so much of the things that make and and even uh, if you look at like old films too, there's barely any like depth of field. Like they right. usually shoot at like it looks like they're shooting at f eight or sixteen or something, um, and all the things that made those old films cinematic were, were you know set design composition, uh, movement within the frame. I think that's one of the biggest things that you start to notice as you study film is like, look at how these extras are moving here and there and how like this person walking in front of the lens causes an action to make the camera pan to the right that then, you know, facilitates the actor coming into the scene. It's just this, this language, they call it, you know, film language that is so intuitive and ingrained in us from watching so many movies that we, you know, it's hard for people to pick up on it until they, they actually learn it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I also remember kind of just learning, you know, the the basic, like, terminology about film and the, like, aesthetics of it and um, how they can all kind of, like, come together and make something, like, very unique. Because I, I had this class that was my very first film class. It was, you know, it was at, I think it was at 8 a.m. It might have been 9 a.m., but I think it was 8 a.m., 
um, way on the other side of of the campus. I'd have to get up early and walk to it. It was always cold and, um, you know, everyone's <laughs> kind of like tired when they, when they first get there. Um, but like, you know, the professor is really nice and, uh, you know, very understanding, but it was just like, we would try to, you know, analyze various films that maybe have a very like weird spin on things like the, um, uh, I think it's Baz Luhrmann's, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Like that's such a weird film, but like at the same time, it is so well put together and like kind of like tran- transports this story that, you know, was set forever mm-hmm. ago and like into something more modern that still carries the same kind of like beats of the, in- of the original story. And, yeah. um, I-, I remember it-, it was a long time ago, it, like COVID makes everything feel like 10 years ago, but yeah. I remember having this like, you know, project that was like a group project that, yeah, I ended up doing most of the work cause you know, group projects, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You know, it's one of the things where like you, you really sit with the film. And I think that's something that, again, YouTube doesn't necessarily lend to is the idea of like really analyzing something for a very long time, mm-hmm. being forced to watch something over and over because you have to write some crazy long thing or present on it. And like it, it, it forces you to just not rush through things because I think, you know, just the nature of YouTube, right? I mean, yeah, the, the, you the point is 10 minute videos. Point. You have to yeah. get to the point in 60 seconds or people are out, you know? Right. Yeah. And so like, I, I mean, there's so much benefit to YouTube. And I think maybe a, a better approach is a hybrid thing of like doing, learning as much as you can on YouTube, but also maybe going to some sort of school or enrolling in some sort of like class or something like that, just so that you have kind of a fast paced, you know, not clickbaity, but like, you know, it draws your attention. And then you have the stuff that maybe you're a little bored, but like you also are going <laughs> to learn to to a much greater depth than you might yeah. have on YouTube. And there's ex- exceptions to every rule. Um, and, you know, there's classes that just were utterly pointless or their class or their YouTube <laughs> videos that, you know, really do go into depth. But I think, I think yeah. that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned is like just sitting with films and being able to let them kind of like speak to you mm-hmm more than just what you would get from the first watch or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, th- yeah, I, I think it's important to invest in yourself as a creative, whether you're a photographer or a filmmaker or whatever. Uh, and those are obviously the majority of our listeners are either photographers or filmmakers. But I know for me, I didn't go to film school. I didn't go to college, but I did invest in myself by going to seminars or, right. um, you know, I went to NAB and, and got to interact with other people and ask them questions and, obviously shooting with other people and, and people who like are better than you, you know, being a PA on set and just observing the director and seeing what they're doing. And like you said, there's a wealth of knowledge on Netflix, literally just scroll through and like, look at old films, look at, you know, popular movies. Um, honestly, a lot of the best movies are not on Netflix, unfortunately. And usually you have to actually rent them on iTunes. Um, (laughs) because they're like, no, we, we won an Oscar. We're not going on Netflix. Um, and it it is interesting though, that the films that are normally nominated for Oscars and often the films that win best picture are films that the mass majority of people have never even heard of, or especially haven't seen. I am married to a person who, uh, does not like artsy films in air quotes, and would much rather watch a Marvel film uh, than the Silver Linings playbook or whatever. Sure. Um, but it's it's a weird uh, thing because like you're going to school, being taught by these professors and, and filmmakers who really respect the art of filmmaking. But at the end yeah. of the day, like 
Marvel is the machine making money and giving people work. So yeah. what are your thoughts on the current situation of Hollywood and, and filmmaking in general? Is that kind of old school artisan style filmmaking just becoming a niche? And it's, I mean, they're clearly not making money when, when those studios produce those small Oscar nominated films compared to, you know, Justice League right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's interesting because like when you have a film that like maybe wins awards and all, all your filmmaker friends are talking about it, but like when the general public has no idea what it is, like, is it worth anything? Like, you know, there's, there's yeah. that kind of question of like, is it worth like just doing it for the know, peers? Pretty right. Much. Yeah. Like if it's like just for yourself or just for like a few people, like, is that, is that like important to you? And so I think that there's, there's an element of that at the same time you have, you know, these big movies that like are very much edited and like they're manufactured in a sense to yeah. keep your attention. And, you know, they have those like test screenings and they write down when people like start getting bored and then, you know, all of that stuff um, just so that they can like just you know, squeeze every ounce of excitement out of you or, or out of the movie. I don't know which way it goes, but um, yeah, didn't, you know, I think didn't Scorsese, uh, Scorsese called it a, it's a theme park attraction, you know, when he goes to right, the Marvel Right, yeah, I mean, his whole, like, Marvel isn't cinema and stuff, which I, I would definitely disagree with to an extent. There's like, a, I, like mean, I understand his point, where he's coming from. I also enjoy Marvel movies. I enjoy the TV shows. There's, there is some, you can throw, you can hurl as much money and special effects at things as you want, but there is, like, real craft and storytelling going on in those films. It, it's oh, yeah. a very high-level uh, skill set that, you know, the, the writers and the overarching storyline of this marvel universe is unbelievable it's absolutely filmmaking that's absurd yeah. but yeah. yeah and so like you know it, it's sure it isn't the these small budget like you know artisan films but like you yeah. know it, it definitely has emotional impact like what is what is the point of filmmaking if it's not to try to change something or communicate something that is you know better suited for for video or for, for like the moving picture i feel like um yeah. I don't know, film's such a powerful medium that, like, we can't try to box it into one corner. Like, I don't think necessarily YouTube is the future. I think it is part of the future. Um, I think that there is a place for long-form movies. There's a place for college still, kind of. Uh, um, <laughs> there, I, wish, I wish college was cheaper. I think that's um, the Yeah, I mean, issue. I think that's my biggest problem with it is, like, it's so expensive and it's so cost prohibitive that, like, mm. why why pay so much money for something that, generally speaking, you could just kind of piecemeal together on your own through the internet, through a bunch of classes online, you know? And yeah. so, um, in that sense, I definitely see uh, college being one of those things that, like, hopefully is maybe going to get restructured or something, but, like, I don't see how that would ever happen considering infrastructure and you know yeah we'll see yeah bureaucracy but um <laughs> yeah I, I think i think movies aren't going anywhere i think hollywood's not going Absolutely. anywhere and um i think there needs to be a strong consideration for vertical and i think a lot of companies are, are doing that mm -hmm. like I think like Lionsgate, Quibi, very successful. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. uh, but they did I was just saying yes, and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, but uh, I think it was Lionsgate that is starting, and I think Amazon Prime. They're starting to do vertical, uh, like TikToks that are the accounts clearly run by someone who's very very young, uh, because they are <laughs> jumping on these trends and like they are very funny and they're very like that was a good ad. I want to go watch this movie or stream yeah. the service or whatever. So I think that that's definitely nice to see is 
these companies kind of yeah. realizing, hey, maybe we should shift things a little bit. Maybe we um, should hire some Gen Zers. <laughs> right, yeah, not have you know your social media marketing team run by like 60-year-olds or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I, I think uh, Colin and Samir posted a video today that um, they talk about how there was this uh, paint uh, company, the, what's it called, the Sherman or whatever, or I don't remember. It's like one of the big DuPont or whatever. I don't remember. It's some big paint company. And the there was an employee who was literally just filming himself mixing the paint. And he would get creative mm. with it and add some like oh, glitter. I think or I, I think I saw this. Yeah. And uh, his TikTok blew up. It had like 1.4 million followers, and like he was getting millions of views because it's just like really peaceful and and cool to to watch the paint getting mixed and created. And he got fired uh, yeah. for it. And then a local paint company hired him and made him like their marketing person. And now they're getting millions and millions of views. And yeah. like it's just that idea of like it's that old school mentality of like you're how dare you make, you know, home videos on company time, you know, but they're not seeing the bigger picture of millions of people are, are seeing our product. Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy that there's still that old school, um, you know, idea, but, uh, Mr. Beast talks about in the, the new book that Daryl Eves put out, like Coca-Cola should not be spending $20 million on a TV campaign. Like, give it to Mr. Beast and, and like have Mr. Beast build a house out of Coke bottles, you know, <laughs> right. um, building a house out of 300,000 Coke bottles or whatever. Like that's yeah. going to give you more value. So people are still having to kind of figure that out, but it does come down to, are you an artist? Like, are you calling yourself an artist and what do artists do? They create art for right. the sake of creating art. And I think at the end of the day, you have these films that are obviously, uh, you know, designed by studios to be nominated for the Oscars, to give the studios some sort of prestige. But then obviously the the writers and the directors involved are, are just fulfilling their kind of heart's desires as creatives and writing yeah. things that interest them and that make people think. And it, it is a shame that we're at this point now where there is such a polar opposite of like, there's these Oscar nominated pictures that nobody watches. And then there's these blockbusters that make all the money. And that's it. There's very few in between. It seems like the in between stuff you find on uh, Netflix now as like original series or whatever. And uh, back in the old days, you know, when our parents were uh, our age, you had all these great films that were lower mid tier budget that end up becoming cult classics and that are, you know, great pieces of work. Um, we're, we don't seem to get that as often anymore, but it has taken on this new form of these crazy you know high budget uh series that are original series now so yeah absolutely any uh anything else that you want to like share promote talk about um what's kind of your inspirational thought or or word of wisdom that you'd like Hmm. to to share with our listeners here at the end i don't know i mean like right now i'm just trying to figure out like what i'm doing you know like as far as cinematography career goes i think right now i'm set in like the immediate as far as school, as far as like work with uh, Lux Optics who makes Halide, the uh, camera yeah. for iPhone. Yeah, totally. And so it's been That's fun awesome. to, to work with them. I'm basically like their video producer. So I, you know, figure out nice. videos, whether they're, you know, shot on cameras or whether they're like screen recordings that we turn into like instructional, you know, fun After Effects animated stuff that, um, you know, cool. provides, you know, like step-by-step kind of instruction. And so it's been a lot of fun doing that because they have like a very... 
a lot of attention to detail and very good people in general. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun working with them. Uh, but you know, kind of like trying to break out of this, you know, one man band video producer, not trying to break out of Lux, but like uh, just in general, as like, uh, my career goes, I've been working on this documentary with the university of Arizona and, uh, trying to capture their kind of reaction and response to COVID as well as the whole, uh, vaccine pod. And so I've been out there shooting and stuff. The, the governor of Arizona was there getting his shots. So I was able to go and try to film that. And it was interesting, um, just kind of seeing, seeing all of the like politics around that and like <laughs> having the, uh, not secret service, but the, the bodyguard or whatever, like walk past and just bash into my camera as he was like trying to get to another side of the room or something like that. And like, it's just kind of funny to, to have that happen. Well, yeah, I guess he, and of course I'm, I'm the one apologizing, even though like I was standing still, I wasn't moving and he was the one who ran into me, but like, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, don't kill me. Um, so, yeah, I guess you know, in, uh, in a sense it's his right to do that. Cause he's a bodyguard, I guess, but I, I guess, I don't know. But, uh, he didn't like break anything. It's just like, you just hear him like slam into the microphone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to, so yeah, so trying to shoot that and like, it, it's useful too, because it's going to actually work out for my like documentary production class in the fall. Uh, nice. But maybe, you know, it might help me get some connections because it's going to be connected to the university and I'm going to be interviewing uh, like pre the president of the university and all of that. And so, you know, you know, it might lead something, it might not, but at least it's it's giving me a lot of like hands-on practice. And I think the biggest thing is just like just to um, find a project that's fun because I, I found this to be the case back when I did uh, like web development stuff because uh, I was trying that for a little bit. Um, and it's so boring to try to learn something that you're not interested in, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very dry. It's like, okay, follow this tutorial. Duh. But if you find something that you want to build yourself, right, if you want to build like a budget tracking app or you want to build something that's useful to you, all of a sudden there's just this interest and drive to like build it or make it or whatever. And so I think the same really applies to filmmaking. And I've noticed this with this project is like, I'm having so much fun just going out and shooting and like trying to find fun, like, you know, angles that, we got to be so careful with like not capturing identifying information because it's medical related. So there's HIPAA laws and all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, it's fun trying to like solve these problems and like just get as much footage as I can and then like dump it and then go back the next day. And like, wow. yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just been a lot of fun. And like, you know, this is very early into production. It's going to be, um, I, I have to have a cut done by the end of the year because there's the class that's coming up, but also going to try to get it done a little sooner for the university's cut because those are going to be different because editing and, what you do and don't include. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a lot of fun to just like try to like work on something that's exciting to me that I feel like will also help me potentially with my career and all of that. And so, yeah, yeah that, that's kind of what I've been working on, um, lately. And, um, that's yeah, awesome. no, no like particular like words of wisdom. Cause I don't know that like, was it. I mean, I think you, you had it there wise, at the but, end, just yeah. find something that you're passionate about. Don't waste your time, like doing something, uh, that is, I mean, here's the thing. You got to be an adult sometimes and do things you don't right. like, like financial things, you know, you got to right. pay your taxes, right? That's not yep. fun. Um, but beyond that, like if you're doing something in the quotations career wise, uh, yeah. and you're, you're spending hours upon hours doing something or a specific type of career path that you're working towards and you're not enjoying it and you don't see yourself doing it long-term unless there's like a, a practical need where you're, you know, providing for your family. If you have a wife and kids and things like that, and you got to pay your bills beyond that, like 
especially if you're your age at a point where you don't have those types of, um, you know, things in your life that you have to pay for and whatever it's, you know, experiment, try things that you, you know, if, if you find something you really love, just go for it. Even if it doesn't make financial sense fully, uh, I think you're totally right and on point. And that's why like I have decided to take a step away from the gear review space and, um, why I left Indie Mogul and all that kind of stuff. Uh, cause I just had a realization that I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to like spend the next five years of my life stuck doing like camera reviews. You know, I want to try something else. And so, right. um, I think you felt the same way too about tech, right. And doing uh, tech reviews. Um, yeah. so that's really commendable and I totally agree. And also I would just remind you, somebody told me this, uh, when I was starting out too, like a career in filmmaking is a lifelong journey. If you know, Lord willing, you live a long, healthy life, right. you know, you're going to be doing this in your fifties in your sixties, yeah. maybe even in your seventies and think about yeah. the timeline of your life and how old you are now and how much left you have, you know, don't get disappointed about little, you know, losses or wins along the journey. Like this is a lifelong totally. journey for you. And, yeah. um, a lot of the best filmmakers in the world are in their sixties, you know? <laughs> right. I think it's definitely one of those things of like, we're so used to instant gratification and we see the best of the best and the youngest, greatest cinematographer. There's this one guy, I think he's 24 or something like that. And he is crushing it as a cinematographer. He is shooting big ads and big music videos and all sorts of stuff. And it looks amazing. And I'm like, you know, I, I found myself comparing myself to him because, you know, obviously that's, that's what I should be doing. Right. That's, that's where I should be by that point. But like, no, no, like they're, they're, he's, he's just like, you know, a small percentage of people who are going to get there. And like there, there is so much more time to be just trying to get better at cinematography. Totally. And most people who get into cinematography are like, you know, a lot older and it's, it's not a bad thing to not get there that quickly and stuff. So I think that's yeah. something that I've been trying to remind myself is like, stop comparing yourself to other people and just make things that are fun totally. and do your best. And, you know, that's all you really can do. So. I mean, it's, you know, people say it all the time, but it's so true. The only person you can compare yourself to is yourself. So as right. long as each project that you do, you learn something that you grow. Um, I know for me too, when I go back and look at films, I've been doing this now for, since I was 17, I'm 30 now. So I've been in the film industry as a professional for a, a pretty long time comparatively right. to, to other people my age. And, um, I go back and look at some films I shot 10 years ago and I'm like, dang, that's actually better than some of the things I'm doing now. And like, <laughs> there's kind of a purity of like, I didn't know what I was doing. And there was this pure kind of like experimentation thing that I right. did because I was trying to prove to the world that I, you know, was, was cool and creative or whatever. And it, it's inspiring to even look back and be like, Hey, you know what? Like I, I was really pushing things forward. I, I need to get back to that. So as long as right. you're learning and growing, uh, even if you do a project that you're not necessarily proud of, you're going to be able to take something away from it and learn from it. And that's really, once you stop learning, that's when you fail. So just keep learning and growing and uh, you'll be on your way. So we're excited to see your journey, Jackson, uh, over the next hopefully decade. Uh, and we'll definitely have to have you on to follow up and see how things are yeah. going, see how the documentary is <laughs> going. Everybody can follow you uh, mostly on Twitter, but you're on Instagram too. But I'm on Instagram. I I, I struggle again with the perfectionism thing, so I like I don't post all the time. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, with Jackson Instagram. H Visuals on Twitter and Instagram, and just Jackson Hayes on YouTube. I am not the basketball player. I am 
the other guy. So just scroll past the that, so. Jackson Hayes with an X, find the Jackson Hayes with a CK. There you go. The way it should be spelled. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and subscribe, sure. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, Jackson, it was a pleasure having you on and getting to know you better again. And I'll definitely be seeing you at NAB next year. Yeah. All right. Fingers crossed. Yep. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Jackson Hayes and learned a little bit about filmmaking in the modern era, whether or not you should go to school or not really depends on the person. I think for myself, it didn't make any sense for people who want to do YouTube and content creation, people who just want to get out there and be a freelancer. School is absolutely not essential. It is something that can help. Uh, it can teach you some things that you maybe aren't able to learn on your own, I guess. But the truth is YouTube and the internet allow for so much education now that if you're a self-starter and self-motivator, there's really no reason to get a degree for an artistic career path. I think it's important to learn business and entrepreneurship, and these are things that I've been struggling with for the last decade in my journey. So if anything, going to business school or learning how to run a successful business would be way more valuable than the filmmaking stuff, especially if you're just going to a smaller school and not USC, you know, film school in California or NYU in New York or, you know, input any like famous film schools in the world that I don't know about. All I know about is the two in New York and uh, California there. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. And I think college has continued to morph and change. And now, especially with the lockdowns and COVID and all the people who spent tons of money last year doing school online, I feel like people are starting to reevaluate whether school is worth it, especially for an artistic career path. I would like my lawyers and doctors to go to school, please. But a filmmaker, eh, I don't know. I don't think it's that necessary. What do you guys think? Let me know uh, on social media at Dave Mays on Twitter or at Dave Mays underscore on Instagram. I'd like to thank Jackson Hayes again for coming on the show. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast, and we'll see you next week.